Relax. Ride with Founders. When you refinance your new or used vehicle from another financial institution, Founders will beat your existing rate by 1% to a minimum of 1.99% for autos and 4.99% for RVs or purchase a new or used vehicle and Founders will deposit $100 into your loyalty select account. Lower your rate or cash in the bank. Get started on your refi or buy today at foundersfcu.com slash refi or buy. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NC. UA. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Oh, broadcasting this one in the wee hours of the night. It's J.C. and Morgan with another college football podcast. The season may be over. But the storylines in this podcast never end in college football. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. J.C., last time we were on, we were wrapping things up on another award-winning season, a season full of ups and downs and adversity, uh, controversy, uh, all kinds of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You can easily describe Tennessee football as the same way. And Tennessee football's had all that for 10 years. We, we've, we've mentioned this a number of times on this podcast. Um, one of our most listened to, or a bunch of our most listened to podcasts, um, they continue to grow year by year on average. But during the time of the last Tennessee coaching search, it was bonkers. Our numbers were crazy because, look, people like a little controversy in their college football. And I'll say this. The SEC, more than any other conference in college athletics, has a hey, we we might want to beat each other, but we're all we're all in the same family, so we're all pulling for the SEC. If if you're not, if we're not playing you, I'm pulling for you, right? And you the common SEC SEC chant. You don't see a whole lot of that in other leagues, but I got to be honest. Uh, I just get a feeling that sometimes even the mighty SEC opposing fan bases love to see some people suffer a little bit. And if you are a football program in the league that has uh, hit hard times, misery loves company, and you're looking at UT and you're saying, (laughs) this is – this is the gift that keeps on giving and the soap opera that won't end. And I thought I think it's only natural that a lot of opposing fans, rival fans can't help, but enjoy a little bit what's going on in Knoxville. Wouldn't you say? Well, there, there's two ways to look at it. You know, first and foremost, yeah. Good natured fan ribbing is awesome. And you know, better them than us. That is kind of like the fan, uh, a lot of fans that, that look at it and, any of your big six schools uh, in Tennessee is the, the people don't people that don't understand what I'm talking about when I say the big six around the league. It, it's not written about a lot or talked about a lot, uh, and they kind of talked about this during expansion when they added South Carolina and Arkansas in the early '90s. There is a big six, and these schools, these six schools, and you could probably throw A and M in there as the big as a as a big seven right now. Uh, they've won every SEC football championship since the 60s. Hmm. Since the 60s. Yeah. You know? And so uh, 
you know, that's Tennessee, that's LSU, that's Auburn, that's Alabama, that's Georgia, that's Florida. That's it. And those are the six. Yeah. And so anytime there's turmoil at one of the big six, and Tennessee's had more than their share along with Florida and Auburn (laughs) uh, lately, Uh, nothing like Tennessee, though. Uh, You know, the other fans in the league at the other schools are – are going to sit there and, and laugh. And, and everybody, you know, everybody remembers too when Tennessee was running roughshod over the rest of the league and also going into other states and taking players, which is something that, you know, people have long memories on. Everybody in Georgia remembers them getting Jamal Lewis. Everybody in South Carolina remembers them getting Sean Ellis and Dominique Stevenson and later on Albert Hainsworth and Robert Ayers uh, and all those great players up there. People in Alabama have never forgotten the T. Martin recruitment and, and the fact they beat Bama so many times in a row. You remember uh, Travis Henry out of Frostproof, Florida? Hey, Travis Henry, exactly. I remember Jamie Newberg on my show when I was just getting started. And I was asking him about the top recruits. And I'd say, what about Travis Henry? He said, Mike, there is no way that kid will qualify. No huh. way. Mark it down. And Jamie was right about those 99% of the time. Sure. But he got qualified and played pretty darn good football at Tennessee. Heck, yeah. He was great. But to be, and, and uh, you know, Frostproof, Florida, that's that's Gator's stronghold there. I've been to Frostproof before. Where is – is that Panhandle? I don't even know where Frostproof I, I is. I think – if I'm not mistaken, Frostproof may be sort of there's – a, there's a part of central Florida, Mike, that has hills. Um, and so I think, if I'm not mistaken, Frostproof is – because there's been players that have come out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Frostproof is in central Florida. You're probably right. Uh, near uh, north of Dis, yeah. So here it is. I'm pulling it up on the map. It is north of Orlando. Okay. Um. Go. Well, no, I'm sorry. I have the wrong area. My bad. I, I was thinking of Claremont, which is right up US 27 from Frostproof. Frostproof is south. If you head down I four between Orlando and Lakeland, and you get off on this exit highway 27 and go towards lake wales another place with great football talent uh right on the other side of lake wales before you get to avon park and sebring um you come to a place called Frostproof. Wow! <laughs> and so that's, that's, that's i didn't know it, any of this yeah, and i spent it, a good portion of my life in the sunshine state i had yeah, no idea it's in it's in i knew it was in central florida i was confusing it with claremont and I, but i've been to Frostproof too it's the southern one um, and, and, but a lot of good players come out of there. So you don't think the bull gators that hang out and there's a crap ton of them in Lakeland, uh, and in the greater central Florida area, you don't think the bull gators remember that Travis Henry recruitment? Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. Um, right. and, and they remember Tennessee. I mean, Florida's had more success against the Vols for the last 30 years than, than maybe other schools, but you know, ten, Georgia still remembers them rubbing their face in it. Mm-hmm. Alabama still remembers that. I can assure you South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Kentucky do. Um, so, you know, when you fall on hard times like that, you know, people are going to gonna laugh. And unfortunately for Tennessee, you know, this has been a long time coming. I, I love their fan base for the most part. Uh, I have a lot of great friends that are Tennessee fans. I feel so bad that, um, that this has happened. 
But, you know, I think with today's news, Mike, better days are probably ahead. Well, I, yeah, and let's – well, there's so many places to go here, and we're going to do this bad boy in less than an hour. So sure. let's, let's deconstruct it. Uh, since we last joined everybody, of course, the, the Jeremy Pruitt uh, era came to an end, and the Phil Fulmer came to an end on the same day the school chancellor goes out there and instead of doing the normal, Hey, you know, we're, we're cooperating, but we admit to nothing. Uh, she just goes out there and says, we're guilty of this, 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 and this. And that's why we're firing nine coaches. I've never seen anything like that. Not in the SEC, not in any way. Um, Phil Fulmer, we know that's not a retirement. He's basically forced to leave. And I don't think quite frankly, he's going to miss it at this point. It's become so toxic and he's been front and center in it because at the end of the day, he's the one that came in as they pushed Curry out when they had Shiano as the hire. Uh, they bring in their white knight and Phil Fulmer. And Phil Fulmer says, give me Jeremy Pruitt. And Jeremy Pruitt, uh, in retrospect, was an abject failure. Uh, there's nothing about that hire that you can really look at and say, oh, yeah, this went extremely well. That went extremely well. Uh, yeah, we, we lacked in this category. However, we did. No, um, Tennessee people that I talked to never really embraced Jeremy Pruitt, kind of rough around the edges. I did a couple of their games and, and met with Coach, and uh, he's just – it's hard to reach you on a personal level, you know. And, um, and on top of that, he hires Jimmy – he fires Jimmy Brumball basically in the middle of the game um, – it just got worse and worse and worse. And now the ultimate slap in the face on the way out is, oh, by the way, recruiting violations all over the place. Uh, talk of the McDonald's bags with money in them. And Tennessee is likely heading down a path of sanctions at this point. So this was now, as it's presented for the incoming administration, whoever takes these jobs, you got a lot of work to do. Like I said, somewhat of a reclamation project. So Danny White, I don't think anybody is going to have a problem with that hire. Now they paid for him. Uh, I don't know where 1.7 ranks, but that's got to be one of the highest paid ADs out there. Um, they paid for him, and he, he comes with experience, and he's done some good things in other spots. Uh, so I, I think everybody in Tennessee country has to feel like, okay, considering where we are, and and what everybody knows is coming down that that dark road. This was a this was a coup to, to get Danny White. The the next move, of course, the next domino is the coach. And do you go with Kevin Steele for a year, kind of a place setter? And maybe if he does really well, you keep him. You know, we've seen, of course, interims hold on to jobs, i.e. Dabo Sweeney. Um, or maybe based on his age, which is much older than Dabo, of course, maybe he's just a guy that holds the fort for a year. So things simmer down and you really know, you can tell that the incoming coach, look, here's what you've got. So he could almost be like a Matt Luke was for Ole Miss. I don't think Ole Miss had many intentions of Matt Luke staying there for 10 years. Um, they hoped it would work and it wasn't bad, but but they really were ready to make a, a another hire. And they did, of course, with Lane Kippen. So that's that's kind of a synopsis of where Tennessee is, where they go. You know, there's a lot of names out there from Chadwell to Napier to Bill O'Brien. 
have no idea, but whoever goes into that job, just you, you, you will know it will, you know, you know, I always talk about path of least resistance. This is not going to be a path of least resistance situation, especially early on, other than the fact that the expectations will be so low the first couple of years, because you're going to be hamstrung with a roster and perhaps sanctions that you can go out there and go four and eight. No one's going to like say, fire that guy. They're going to understand that he inherited a mess. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, whoever takes that job is going to have to do some work. I mean, you know, and, and with the transfer portal, and the transfer rules, uh, because they had a mass exodus of players yesterday, Eric Gray, their best running back left, starting linebacker, Quaveras Couch, Crouch went to the portal. Uh, probably the best player on their team, Henry Toto, the linebacker, is in the portal, but he's a West Coast kid, not – I sort of felt like that wasn't going to stick uh, if Pruitt left because I think Pruitt was a big reason he came east. Um, and then Jameer Johnson, who started five games at offensive tackles in the portal. So whoever takes it's going to have a uh, you know a, 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 an issue on their hands. Now, now here here's why if you're Tennessee, you, you, you're excited about Danny White. Danny White at UCF, George O'Leary, I think went zero and twelve his last year. Uh, and he went out and hired Scott Frost, and, and that, that ended up being a brilliant hire for UCF. Uh, when Danny White was at University of Buffalo, he made some very good hires. You look at his hires in basketball and football, and he's like six for seven, you know. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the one that you kind of scratch your head about is Josh Heupel, but, you know, Josh Heupel has an amazing record. You know, I think people just kind of assume because, you know, they're UCF and they're not going undefeated that he's some kind of disappointment, but you know, so, so that, so you got to feel good that you'll be in good hands, you know, that he has the track record of making a good hire at the same time, you know, that, that boat doesn't flow on forever. Uh, when you're talking about hires, I would almost be worried <laughs> if a guy that's been that good rolls into town and, and makes a hire because just simple math and the nature of hiring coaches, Mike, right. That 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 that, that you're going to screw up one or two. I mean, that, that's just how it happens. So, I, I would almost be a little nervous about that. But I mean, I think if you're looking to fix Tennessee football primarily, because I think the rest of the athletic department's doing pretty well. Um, you know, Dan, you can't really hire somebody with as good of a track record as Danny White. Maybe Scott Woodward is that type of AD when you look at track records of hires. But he's home and walk away from A and M to go to LSU. Uh, and he's home, and you can't get him. So uh, I, I think they made the, probably the best hire they could have. Now, now the question becomes, Mike, like you said, is are they going to do an interim year with Kevin Steele? If they do that, I could also see them uh, self-imposing a bowl ban, depending on how these bad these sanctions really are. Um, from what I've heard, I, I don't necessarily agree that these this is totally egregious, even if. Uh, they put money in McDonald's bags, which is funny. Uh, and I don't even know that that's true. I, I just think it's funny. Yeah, that's um, a Dan Patrick show report. Yeah. Dan has, Dan has some source, so he never says who it is. And sometimes he was he was right on a lot of the Big Ten. Yeah. He was wrong on a few things. Yeah. Um, but that, but that but he's got some source that is definitely plugged into the college football coaching rumor mill. 
Sure. And, and that's, uh, and that's good. I'm not, I, I don't, I don't want to question his source. I've just, I've heard it from good sources uh, kind of in that are more f- neatly focused on college football. If, if that makes sense, it says, yeah, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a exaggeration or something like that. Well, look, even if that was happening, there's nothing egregious enough, in my opinion, there to where Tennessee gets stripped of 20 scholarships and a three-year bowl ban or something like that. Uh, but I think if, you, if you're going to sacrifice this next year anyway with an interim coach, uh, I think you serve that bad boy up on a platter, and then you go and, and you take your time and you make the right hire. Because this AD hire, Mike, though, came so quickly, uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen because there's still time. We're here January 21st. The second signing day is 12 days away. You, you act fast, and you, let's say you go and you hire Tom Herman. Uh, I think a lot of Tennessee fans are intrigued by that because they hired the fired Texas coach in basketball, and that's turned out pretty well. <laughs> um, or, or, you you know, you go make a move and you hire Jamie Chadwell, uh, and, and then all of a sudden you write, you know, you kind of smooth the waters out because spring practice is coming and all that. So it just kind of depends on how quickly Danny White wants to move uh and do this so because the ad thing got done pretty quick uh i think there is time where you could see an actual traditional coaching change uh in knoxville i don't know what the heck they're going to do with kevin Steele because <laughs> they just sort of hired him but uh you know just maybe maybe that's not in the in the works for the new ad and the new regime yeah i tom herman's intriguing in a lot of different ways um you know, so is Bill O'Brien for that matter. And I realize Bill O'Brien technically is, is slated to be Nick Saban's OC. Um, he might do that for a year and then be right out the door. Like so many of other, uh, other Nick Saban recruits that mm-hmm. again, to, to steal a term from uh, Rick Neuheisel, the, the happy ending halfway house, uh, fire coaches go to Nick Saban, either as an analyst or a full-time coach, resurrect their career, get another opportunity. Uh, I would be surprised if Bill O'Brien is not a head coach again very soon. Let's not forget, no matter what happens at Tennessee, I sincerely doubt it is going to be as bad as things were in Happy Valley for Penn State, mm. following the Sandusky egregious uh, just mess that that turned into. Uh, there was thoughts that, that Penn State would be down for decades, and he turned it around in about as short amount of time as you possibly can set things up rather well uh, for the uh, six, uh, succeeding coach in, uh, in James Franklin. And, uh, and then for whatever reason, it didn't work out in Houston. There's a lot of things from what I understand with the Houston Texans yeah. uh, franchise that, that wasn't all Bill O'Brien. Nah, and then and, and Bill O'Brien as a GM is a different exact. evaluation point than a coach. Right. right. And, and, and there's, there's some, there, there's been some weird stuff going on in that front office um, that I've been privy to that it's not worth getting into now. But uh, nevertheless, um, yeah, I mean, all those are intriguing names. And look, I, I think, and this is a pure, just I don't know. So I'm not, and I, and I don't, I'm not interested in getting it right. Uh, let me, let me rephrase that. I'm not interested in being the smartest guy in predicting what Tennessee's sanctions are going to be. Like I. You know, whatever they are, they are. Uh, I don't wish I don't wish that on any program. Uh, I've seen what it does. I've called football games for programs that are on probation, and it's everything about it just 
you know, it takes the 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 juice out of everything. Uh, the crowds, the the anticipation. What are you playing for? You know, you're not going to a bowl game. You know, you can't compete to go to Atlanta. Uh, it just changes the outlook on the whole deal. Obviously, therefore, it hurts recruiting. Uh, it just rocks your program for a couple of years. I'm just going to spitball and say it wouldn't surprise me if Tennessee's sanctions are more like, say, an Ole Miss was on the on the way Hugh Freeze went out. What did you have? You had two seasons of no of no postseason, but they didn't lose like what was what was the scholarship total? Do we know? I mean, I don't think they lost a ton. Nah, it was, I don't think it was, it was like like the NCAA decided a long time ago the the death penalty you're not hurting the right people. So we're never going to see that again. It's just stupid. It, it, it should have never happened the first time, but it, you, you don't hurt the right people when you implement something that strong on a program, you know, the Jeremy Pruitt's never coming back to Tennessee. So you, there's no point in doing all that. So what you do is you want to deliver a message without crushing the program and the teams that have to play them and, and, and the, within their conference it's just not it, nobody benefits from that. And not to mention, we're, we're already on the tip of the iceberg of at any moment, power five schools could just say, you know what, NCAA, we don't need you for this nonsense. So I don't think they're going to, you know, overshoot the target on this one. I would say just based on what I've read thus far, if, if what we're talking about is remotely accurate. I wouldn't expect more than two seasons of, of no postseason. How many scholarships is anybody's guess? Yeah, I, and and even that, you know, even at that, there may not be. Sometimes they don't do postseason bans. I, I think they've actually in the last few years been a little bit more fired up to give that out. Yeah, uh, as well, look, a punishment. If it's secondary. Hey, yeah, if it's secondary violation, but I mean, I'm not getting that impression based on the chancellor. No. <laughs> Their own chancellor went up there and basically said, "Hey, this is some legit mess we're talking about here." Yeah, they're falling and, uh, on the, I'm not on the sword. Anything. Yeah, so so we'll see kind of kind of what happens, and, and you know, and and I have noticed that there, there have been there have been serious violations at schools, and they've not been banned for the postseason. But then you know you turn around and you look like Missouri, a couple of Barry Odom's last year. I thought that was ridiculous that they got banned uh, from ridiculous. a bowl game that year. Wrong. So they've been a little bit more uh, quick to pull the trigger on that. I mean, even that was on the hearsay of what basically. Uh a paid uh, I'm going to be careful with what I say about that. All right. Yeah, we'll I got you. <laughs> that that's not what we, that situation is, is different than what they're talking about at Tennessee. Um but that you're right, that was wrong. Um and in this case, again, if you just go on what their own chancellor is talking about, something's going to happen. I mean, this is this is not slap on the wrist, don't do it again and uh you get you get to keep everything, all your scholarships, all your postseason. Now, some Tennessee fans might look at it like, "Give us a postseason ban. We're not going to the postseason in 2021 anyway." Have you seen our roster for crying out loud? So, uh, who knows how that'll uh, shape up? But I, I think again, at bare minimum, Danny White gives them a much needed stabilizing force. This this was a rudderless ship for uh, several weeks now. I think it was becoming more and more clear that uh, people were going to get fired. Heads were going to roll. The, uh, 
the the Jeremy Pruitt firing at that point surprised nobody. The Phil Fulmer one might have surprised some. That press conference was awkward too. Why he was even up there, I don't know. Um, you know, you're you're talking about a guy who hired the guy who your who your chancellor at the same podium is telling everybody was a lousy hire and had no ethics in in, in essence. And Phil Fulmer's like saying, no, 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 this guy was not that bad. It, just, it was just weird upon weird upon weird. Um, but hopefully Tennessee uh, can get get some continuity now and we'll see where it goes from there. I'm just going to put a, a bow on this by saying this. Um, how many times, JC, have I said on this podcast that everybody thinks they know what a good coaching candidate is and who's not, and everybody races to, to social media to blast a hire, to praise a hire, and the, the word I keep using for most of these is crapshoot. I mean, you can make an educated guess, but for the most part, it's a crapshoot. So they had Greg Schiano. I thought that was a solid hire. The Much of the Tennessee fan base decided, no, it's not, and raised holy hell about it. And they got their white knight to go in there. They can the AD, they bring in Fulmer and they say, thank you, no thank you to Shiano and say, hello, Jeremy Pruitt. And then everybody applauded that hire like it was the best thing since sliced bread. Like now we got the right guy. That last guy, that was questionable. This is, and you look at it now, would anybody want, would any Tennessee fan not want to go back in time and replace Jeremy Pruitt with Greg Schiano? I'm not saying it would have been a guaranteed slam dunk, but it certainly could have been worse. Yeah. I mean, look, honestly, if you're Philip Fulmer with Jeremy Pruitt, you know, he has a point because the Pruitt era was, was record wise better than Derek Dooley. <laughs> and, uh, that's a high bar we're setting. You know, I mean, he, he Derek Dooley never won eight games. Um, he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, you know, he was sick. He never had a winning record, but I, I think whereas in the Dooley era, it was, it was ugly and Tennessee just wasn't a very good football team. The Pruitt era was more like, you know, they, they had that terrible start. Uh, last year, and then all of a sudden, it it it, it went to crap. Uh, you know, our, and, and, I mean, it, it it got better, and then it went to crap. Um, you know, people thought they were on the rise, and then this year, after two games, all of a sudden, they're not even competitive. Not even competitive, Mike. I mean, they they weren't even competitive. And, and when you you lose ugly like he did, the fact that you beat two ranked teams and duly ranked beat none <laughs> uh, maybe puts you a little bit ahead of that three year era with the Doolander that just also ended in a bizarre way, but you throw the, the violations and stuff on top of it. You know, Derek Dooley didn't leave Butch Jones with much talent, but he didn't leave a complete mess either. And, and this is, this is a mess right now. It's and it's a mess. It's a bad time. So uh, it, it was, you know, beyond those eight games that they won in a row. And then I think they ended up winning what, Six, eight, they won eight games in a row over two years yeah, and a bowl the longest game. winning streak in the country, technically, during that time. Yes. Now, if you put those eight games under a magnifying glass, it's far less impressive. Oh, yeah. They didn't really beat anybody, and they were a lot of close wins. The most impressive win probably was that Indiana win in the bowl game because Indiana had them beat by double digits, and 
They came back and won. But other than that, just a lot of ugly football. You lose to Kentucky at home 34-7, to and you're the University of Tennessee. Uh, that's a bad thing. So close the book on that. It, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what they do from here. It is. Uh, and, again, I'm – Tennessee is a – it's a great fan base. It's a beautiful campus. It's a great part of the country. It's three hours from Atlanta – it's two and a half hours from Nashville. So you got a lot of uh, recruiting territory uh, to, to attack more so now than, than ever with the population boom in both of those major cities, not too far away. Uh, but Tennessee's always going to have to recruit nationally um, uh, to be, to, to ever get to the level they were before. Uh, I don't know if Peyton Manning is, is rolling through that door anytime soon. Jamal Lewis and you know, all those great defensive players you alluded to earlier. Um, but that fan base does deserve more. I mean, even if you're just kind of reveling in the misery of your hated rival within the conference, there's got to be some, maybe some small sliver of compassion you have for a program that's just been beaten over the head with bad news for the last 10 years, highlighted by embarrassing coaching searches, uh, embarrassing coaching hires, and, and now, again, uh, a very strong threat of NCAA troubles ahead. Okay. <clears throat> One other major story. I, I know that we don't talk a ton of Pac-12 on here, but I think it is a major story in a Power 5 league, and therefore it's a major story in college football, and that is Larry Scott is officially out the door of the Pac-12. He'll – uh, his tenure, he's still going to get paid for a while. And when you look back at how much they paid Larry Scott, that's money that would uh, would have been better served in all likelihood. Here, here's the thing. I'm not going to pile on Larry on the way out. I I think Larry is a smart guy. I, I actually had – I liked his swagger when he came in. I liked kind of the, hey, let's do – let's try some things a little differently. And he was full of energy and ideas. But as I've as I've really remember when we were going through the whole thing with under COVID and and the way the five Power Five commissioners were handling everything, so I actually did something I ordinarily would not do because quite frankly I don't typically care that much about Power Five commissioners backgrounds, right? But I did it, and I already knew about Greg Sankey and John Swafford, and uh, of course the, before Jim Delaney because most of those have been around for a while and Greg Sankey is somebody I'm very familiar with in the SEC, uh, Bob Bowlesby familiar with him. He's been around a long time, but I really had to do a deep dive on Larry Scott, who I knew part of his story and Kevin Warren, because for my money, those were the two conference commissioners that botched the whole off season with college football, one more so than the other in Kevin Warren, but still neither one of them. I thought really, um, did a great job with all that. Let's just put it that way. No, no, and you look at it, and I, I mentioned this on the podcast, the other three all have extensive on-campus experience. What do I mean by on-campus? I'm not talking about them as a student. I mean, they were, they were either in athletic departments as ADs, associate ADs, and I'm going to extend the meaning of campus to the campus of the conference commissioner's uh, headquarters, conference headquarters. So either they were high-level people in athletic departments for college football, or they were high-level people within a conference already 
uh, in college football. And, and all those other three and the ones that came before them all had that kind of background. Larry Scott's background, well, first of all, Kevin Warren's background was basically an attorney, right? And then eventually he got on with the NFL and the Vikings as an attorney, um, but really had no experience to speak of what I'm talking about compared to the other guys. And it showed. It was a glaring, glaring uh, evidence of what that lack of experience showed. And in the case of Larry Scott, his background, he is a women's tennis savant, he elevated women's tennis. That's his background. Again, a very bright guy, Ivy League educated, uh, very successful guy. Larry Scott could probably take, you know, if you and I started a business tomorrow, JC, Larry Scott would probably be like, hey, I'll take that and I'll turn it into a millionaire, a millionaire business. Okay, Larry, I trust you can do that. <laughs> Great entrepreneur. You got a sharp mind. Let's do that. But Larry Scott had no experience, again, running an athletic department or running a conference, and it showed. And he, the other thing I would say is, just like with COVID, Kevin Warren got in trouble because he tried to outsmart the room. First, when, it, when, when the five families were getting together, talking every day on conference calls and Zoom calls and saying, okay, let's do this together. We need to be on. Kevin Warren went rogue first and did I'm going to do a conference only schedule. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what those guys are going to do, but I care about COVID and I'm going to do a conference only schedule. Then he went rogue again and canceled the season in the name of myocarditis. When, when the other four conferences, like, wait a minute, we're not, this is not done yet. Then of course had to do a 180 reverse, actually have them play a ridiculously shortened season. And, and thankfully Ohio state at least had the opportunity to show what they could do. Larry Scott his background in, in, again, not just tennis, but also television. So he wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. And instead of just signing a deal with ESPN or Fox and partnering up with them and maybe producing a Pac-12 network, much like the Big Ten, much like the SEC, which are both are extremely successful and, and money makers for the league and exposure and Olympic sports. get I mean, everything is good about the conference networks. I don't just say that because I work for one of them. I'm saying the same thing about the Big Ten Network, and I don't have anything to do with the Big Ten Network. But he said, no, 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 no. We're going to go out on our own, and we're going to try to do it in-house, and we're going to create like six different channels on cable, and every cable company and satellite company is going to want to carry this because I'm Larry Scott, and I know TV, and there were crickets on the other end of that telephone. And nobody carried it. And people couldn't get Pac-12 football. And then the top games, you know, I voted for Christian McCaffrey to win the Heisman Trophy. He didn't win it because nobody saw him play unless you were a night owl like people like me and you are. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I mean, it was just one bad thing after the other. I'm not saying it's Larry Scott's fault that the entire Pac-12 declined as a league in terms of talent, in terms of coaching, in terms of success. But I am telling you, where he failed on television did affect that league adversely in a major, major way. And whoever they bring in there, the first thing they've got to do is fix the TV situation. Yes, because they went their own way and it just doesn't work. I mean, there's just not, you know, the, the yeah, all right, look, you remember that time McDonald's tried to sell pizza? 
I do, yes. Okay, you know. <laughs> the McPizza. Uh, so. Me and McPepperoni with McMushroom. Yeah, it, it's, it just doesn't work. I mean, you know, college sports leagues um, aren't, aren't television networks. And, and, and Larry Scott, uh, you know, from a business standpoint, was great. But, you know, that was a huge mistake. You, 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 sometimes you just got to leave it to the experts and count your money and run your league. Uh, which is what the other leagues did. And I, and I think that's very, very intelligent because, you know, they're two excellent players in ESPN and Fox. You've got millions of households in, in the footprint of the, of the uh, Pac-12 from Seattle down to Phoenix, over to Denver, up to Salt Lake City, down to Los Angeles, San Francisco. I mean, look, there's a lot of big markets in the Pac-12. Uh, it's a valuable footprint for any media organization, uh, and you have to kind of calibrate it to where your schools are getting exposure back east. That's just the way it is. Is it unfortunate? Yes, because I, I don't feel like time zone should, you know, matter. But it does, and so you have to do it, and you have to do it for relevance. And there, there was no strategy, and it, and it wasn't just football, Mike, that fell off in that league. You look at their men's basketball performance. Um, at a lot of schools, you know, I think they had kind of a rebound year last year, but. Uh, there were several years in a row the Pac-12 would put two or three in the big dance. And you've, you've got a lot of really good basketball programs in that league. So um, I agree. I, and I think really what hurt Larry Scott, and he would probably be on easy street right now, was the flirtation with the Big 12 school. Remember the Big 12 was going to fall apart in 2011? Oh, yeah. They wanted Texas in a huge way. Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I think were the schools that were going to join them. Maybe Texas Tech too. Uh, they they were going to make the Pac-16. So it was Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, and Baylor. Maybe I don't know. I thought Baylor was going to get left behind, but there was, you know, they were going to make the Pac-16. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Colorado. Colorado had already. Colorado jumped. already. Yeah, they were already in. So Colorado was eleven. And then those other five were going to jump with the Buffaloes. Now, had that happened, they'd have no problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. Really, even with their own network, because you'd have enough uh, interest. And to that sustain. was close to happening. Oh shoot! Yeah. In, in all it, fairness, uh, the Big Twelve was within a, a whisker of dissolving and losing everybody, mm-hmm. and, and the reason is Texas. Yes. Texas got that whole thing started. Mm-hmm. And everybody had to appease Texas, had to change the rules for Texas. You know, people say, why, why does Vanderbilt stay in the SEC? Well, because they get one fourteenth of 45, soon to be 60 something million dollars in TV revenue alone, that the pie is split up in equal slices. That's not the way it is in the big 12. It's not the way it is. Texas, there's, there's separate rules for Texas. There might even be a little bit of a difference for Oklahoma. I can't remember the exact, um, structure but that's the only thing that kept that league together at the seams with uh was it chuck ninus and then eventually bob bowlsby uh but that but that league was within a within a whisker of folding Mm -hmm. and the pac-12 would have been the benefactor it didn't happen pac-12 didn't get texas uh and anybody else for that matter but texas let's face it i mean that's the cash with all due respect to those other programs that's the one that's the potential difference maker and it never happened. But 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 you could have still made good moves outside of that. But what where you really um 
I don't want to use that expression. It's a family show. <laughs> um, where you really spit the bit was when you decided, again, to, to outsmart the room and try to do something revolutionary in TV when the revolutionary things in TV had already been done. And that is conference networks and aligning yourself with one of the two, either Fox or ESPN overall on, on the bigger packages. And you basically punted on both in a way but particularly with not doing a conference and trying to do something in-house, which was so convoluted, nobody even understood it. And more importantly, nobody carried the channels. So Pac-12 fans couldn't get the games, even if they lived in Pac-12 territory sometimes. Mm, that was tough. So <laughs> That was brutal. I, I think whoever they hire, two things, JC. I think, number one, you have to have some understand understanding of what went wrong, television wise what needs to go right this time and it's not that complicated so you, you know you don't have to have a former tv executive figure this out and number two i do think you and i have had a chance to to, to go to that part of the country to, to cover football and other things it is just different okay and the culture is different the sports landscape is different the, the way the programs are run is different everything is just different I think you have to have somebody that does have some experience living in that part of the country. Yeah. They, they understand where they're at. I think that's key. I think he's a key with any job really, but uh, a leadership position like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, it'll be, I've heard a, a number of different names. I've heard the, you know, the AD at Alabama. I've heard even Bob Bowlesby just getting, he's got ties to the, to the left coast of, of just getting tired of being in Dallas and the big 12 and leaving, going there. There's all kinds of rumors out there, but they'll figure it out one way or another. So um, there is nobody in the pac 12 that was sad to hear that uh, Mr. Scott will be gone. Uh, as we're starting to wrap things up here, no, you know, when you see something on the, on the bottom of your screen, of course, everything now is breaking news, breaking news. No probation, uh, excuse me, Notre Dame on probation. Um, and then you look, take a closer look, and there's not much teeth in it. It's it's more of a slap on the wrist than it is. It, let's put it this way. It's not what they're talking about at Tennessee right now. No, it's just, it's very minor. And the thing about that is, is, you know, probation means, you know, just don't do it again. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the key there with, with Notre Dame, just not, I mean, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you probably are almost frustrated a little bit by it. That oh, you, you mean like oh, for real? You know, you're gonna pop us on this one. But um, right. so that's what's going on there. Right, right. Um, before we get to a couple final things, I do want to mention uh, one of our sponsors, Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage, for all your mortgage needs. And right now, if you haven't done it already, you probably want to do it fast. Go ahead and refi. Or if you're looking to buy a new home or new property, that he does all kinds of loans. And no matter what the case may be, you know, what category, no matter what category that loan falls under, it's simply going to be the lowest rate around. Challenge him. Say, Stuart Wingo, Mike said you're going to give me the lowest rate around. I don't believe you. Prove, prove me wrong. He'll do it. 803-319-1777. 803-319-1777. And again, we're not talking about like a you know, a guy selling mortgages out of a van on a street corner. Very credible guy. He's been in the business now for decades. Extremely bright. Um, he's almost like a rain man when you talk to him about numbers and the way the business is and what is best for you. Because let's face it, most of us don't grow up 
learning on how to be an expert on mortgages and mortgage rates, but he does, he is, and he'll help you with any of those. <clears throat> Again, the phone number, no matter where you live, I've used them four times in two different states, 803-319-1777. JC, anything else that's uh, maybe flying a little bit under the radar that you've been keeping an eye on? Under the radar, I, I did tell one of our Twitter followers we'd break down the, the Sarkeesian hire in uh, at Texas, and, and do want to add this this piece of info. They they hired you know nowadays, Mike. You have these off the field recruiting coordinators that are very important to, for your organization. Uh, Drew Hughes, a guy that worked at South Carolina, who I'm familiar with, he was actually uh, at Tennessee a year ago, so he got out ahead of the posse. Uh, started off under Nick Saban at Alabama as an intern, student intern or whatever. Um, he's heading to Austin to be the director of player development, kind of the off-the-field recruiting guy. Uh, can't say enough good about him, uh, and he's been in a couple of tough situations. Uh, so going to Texas uh, was a no-brainer, uh, and, and he's a guy that I think Longhorn fans uh, will, will get to know kind of behind the scenes. Uh, I know Texas is used to recruiting at a high level anyway, uh, but Drew Hughes is a guy that can really get in there and help evaluate and, and help uh, a program pick the right guys, not just uh, the highly rated guys. So uh, I think, you know, when you add a guy like that off the field and you look Sarkeesian brought Kyle Flood and some other guys with him from Alabama, you know, I think on paper, Texas has a good staff, Mike, and, if Sark can kind of stay in the zone calling plays, uh, I think Texas could have a, a really good offense next year and probably get a lot better on defense too. And, uh, you know, I I was skeptical a little bit about the hire, uh, but the more I read into kind of what they're doing for him and, you know, I, I think that there is a chance based on that for, for some instant success because he's certainly not inheriting a situation like the next coach at Tennessee will where there's no no players and no talent. Texas has talent, and, and they have for a while. It just takes the right guy to get it together. And, and the right attitude to go along with that right talent. There's been something culturally that's been broken with Tennessee and all the blue-chip recruits that they bring in, very many of which do not pan out. Uh, that, that to, to me, has been the bigger problem. That, goes, that predates Tom Herman. It even predates Charlie Strong. That goes to the end of the Mac Brown era. You know, they didn't they didn't unload Mac Brown because he wasn't a swell guy. They didn't unload Mac Brown because he won a national title. They unloaded Mac Brown because it started to dip and they saw that. And then they went with a very popular name at the time in Charlie Strong. And then they went with an extremely popular name in Tom Herman. And in both cases, it didn't work out. Uh, and so clearly there, it's it's beyond just X's and O's in Austin what's been going wrong there. And I'll be very curious to see. I like the hire. I'm not convinced Texas is going to revert to being great overnight. And some people would say, well, heck, Texas hasn't been great, period, for a long, long time. I mean, that's kind of a a fallacy that, that Texas is in the same category as, you know, an Alabama or an Ohio State, because they just haven't. I mean, if, if you look over the past 30 years, the 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 records versus the overall aura of Texas don't don't necessarily match, but there's no denying there is a lot going for that program, and whoever has that job is going to have resources out the yin yang. It's just a matter of turning things around. 
Yeah, Texas. Uh, I didn't know this, Mike. Since 1996, two two Big Twelve championships. If I'm not mistaken, I heard that quote the other day. University of Texas since 1996. That's 25 with, years in the Big Twelve, Big where, 12. where they're the big dogs. And yeah, uh, the, those Big Twelve championships were. Um, you know, you look at it back there. They they were in 09 when they played for all the marbles, and 05 when they played for all the marbles, and then they they. They did win that one in 96. I think that's that year they upset Nebraska in the Big 12 title game in San Antonio. John Makovic. Um, it went for it on fourth down. Yeah, and they threw it at the tight end, I think, scored the big one. And that team finished eight and five, you know, yeah. but they that, – uh, that, That's before the BCS. That helped pave the way. That and an Arizona State loss – Helped pave the way for Steve Spurrier to get a rematch with Florida State and win his one national title as yeah. a college football player. Yeah, that was amazing, an amazing upset there. But, I mean, that says something. You know, when you're not winning your conference and you're supposed to be one of the top teams in your league, you know, and you look at Oklahoma, one, two, three, six, eight, seven, eight. Well, that's the dog of that league now. Eight, and then – and now they've won six in a row. So – yeah. Since 2000, 14, 14 Big 12 titles for Oklahoma. And since 2000 for Texas, they've had two. And and I've been to Norman and I've been to Austin. There's nothing that Norman has from a resource standpoint that Austin doesn't. Oh, yeah. And, and Texas usually finishes people that talk about recruiting rankings all the time. Texas, nine times out of ten, finishes way ahead of Oklahoma in the recruiting rankings. That's got to be the most frustrating thing in the world. Continue <laughs> to look at that and say, what are they doing over there in Norman that we're not doing right here? Sure. Uh, it starts with Bob Stoops, then it goes to Lincoln Riley. That's that's certainly yeah, part of and, it. And Oklahoma takes the right guys. Yes. The right guy. The right highly rated guys. In closing, you want to take a uh, – break out the crystal ball. The one other – I think it's a major story from a college standpoint is Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, forget about college. He's in Jacksonville, multi, multi, multi-million dollar deal. He's going to have Trevor Lawrence. They've got some talent there. How long does he stay? <laughs> I'm going to give him four years, and I think he'll make him a playoff team. I, I, I think this is going to be like the when Brett Favre – came back for the, to the Vikings. Um, and he really, you know, with, if you're talking about the Brett Favre comeback, it was really three years, once with the Jets, a good year with the Vikings, uh, and then a, a miserable failure uh, of the last year uh, because of the team and some injuries and stuff. Uh, so so I, I think what you're going to see is, and, and the reason I compared it to this is Brett Favre, he's, you know, and I, I've never pulled for an NFL team besides the Falcons, like I pulled for Brett Favre and the Vikings that year. They played the Saints. He's driving down the field. Uh, they're up seven. They're going to salt it away. And boom, he throws a quintessential Brett Favre interception. <laughs> and the Saints and Drew Brees come back and win. And they end up winning the whole thing. Um, I think Urban Meyer, just like uh, Tom Coughlin before him and whoever the coach was a few years ago at Jacksonville, will get them to the AFC championship game. Uh, and he'll say, well, I've taken it far enough. Uh, no, no, no Super Bowl for Urban Meyer. Um, and, and what I like about it, though, is people have interviewed him and, and they're like, you do understand you're going to lose four or five games a year and still have a good year, don't you? 
because of all the coaches that take losing really, really hard, Urban Meyer, man. I mean, I'll still remember him with the pizza. Remember the sad Urban with the pizza after Michigan State beat him in the Big Ten Championship game? I mean, that dude lost nine times at Ohio State. He went 83 and nine, 83 and nine, Mike. And every, all nine of those losses probably keep him up tonight still to this day. So, how is he going to go and understand that if you lose six in a season, you're, baby, you're going to the playoffs. You're, I mean, that's playoffs, you know. You, I mean, you're, you're going. Um, and with the Jags next year, if they go seven and nine, he'll he'll he can lose nine games next year, and that's a heck of a progression for them that improves six games. So, so, so that's the question. But they're asking him those questions, and he gives the right answers. He's like, "Well, oh, that's just that's just something I'm going to have to uh, deal with." And uh, we've talked about it, and I've gotten some good advice, and. Um, so, so I don't know. He's going to have to have a really good staff around him. Uh, I do like the fact that they have the ability to go get talent there and they can surround him with talent. So it's either going to be kind of, I think it's going to land somewhere in between the Bobby Petrino era with the Falcons and, uh, and then what Jimmy Johnson did with the Cowboys. Well, that's um, the that's the standard bearer, right? Yeah, Jimmy. I mean, the, the setup is similar to what Jimmy Johnson had when he mm-hmm. went to the Cowboys. I mean, a terrible team, loads of draft picks, loads of money to spend on players. Franchise quarterback coming in, franchise quarterback coming in. So, so the script is the same. I just don't, you know, I I, I just don't know that that's that, that it's going to turn into three straight Super Bowls. I hope for, I'd yeah. love to see him do it. I'd love to see him do it because I'm not an Urban Meyer hater. Um, and I'll tell you on this note too, with, with the, and we'll talk about all this in further episodes with the, the name image likeness thing and the transfer portal rules and the portal itself, you're going to see a lot more coaches that, whereas they used to say, okay, college, college program, pay me a bunch of money and I'll stay because I like the college game better because you can recruit and control your own destiny and all this stuff. And we're only losing a game a year and all that good stuff. You're going to see a lot of guys, I think, jump at the NFL opportunities as they come up. Whereas before, you'd have a great college coach that just turns it down and that understands he's a college coach. I think you're going to see a lot more successful college coaches jump to the NFL when they get the chance. Because I think there's some guys out there that are used to recruiting and roster management and all that going one way. And it's about to turn to another where you're probably perpetually recruiting your guys. And, uh, I think there's some coaches that are just going to say, man, I'm just a ball coach. I'm not a politician or a psychologist. Uh, So I just want to go where the pros are pros and coach ball. So watch that as a possible trend moving forward, Mike, uh, with, 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 you know, with with the fact that some of these very successful college coaches that, you know, would normally turn it down. um, Watch that, watch more of them be interested in making the jump and watch some of them even pursue making the jump that you wouldn't expect. It'll be very interesting to see. No doubt about that. I say urban goes to the postseason in year two and I'm right with you. I, I think about four years is the limit for urban anywhere at this point in time. I, I think 